Hello, everybody. My name is Jake McGrail, and alongside me are Mike Liu, Diana Hong, and Ollie Nicholas of CITR Sports, broadcasting live from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unseated grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Always keep you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. After the highs of last week with women's hockey becoming Canada West champions, Things came crashing down to earth this week as both men's hockey and women's volleyball had their bids for a conference championship stopped in brutal fashion. Elsewhere, women's golf continued to be a highlight. Track and field had their first big meet of the season. We had some more ups and downs out on the diamond. But before we get to any of that, we have a special guest with us here in the studio today. If you tuned into CITR before we came on, you would have already heard her voice as her show, La Bono with Valley is right before ours. With us here today is Valley Madeska. Madeska? Madeska. Madeska, sorry. <laughs> I, pro- so I pronounced, well, it, I pronounced so it right well. before we came on the air, and then as soon as we came on, it just blanked. But, uh, she's a, a stage fright. <laughs> she's a member of the UBC TSC Artistic Swimming Team. Welcome to the show. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and to chat with you all about synchronized swimming or, yeah, artistic swimming now. Yeah, that was a, that was actually one thing I wanted to clear up right away. Yeah. Is, is there a difference between the two? Um, so it's the same sport. They just had a brand, like a rebranding scenario a couple of years ago and changed it to artistic swimming. But I think that that sounds horrible. <laughs> so I just refuse to call it that. And I think most people on the team also still refer to it as synchronized swimming. So I think maybe in the next few generations, people will start calling it more of like the artistic swimming. And at the Olympics, for example, that's what it was called. Um, but it's still synchronized swimming in my heart. So So the entire sport has just done a yeah. complete rebrand. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know strange. what prompted that or no? Um, I think because technically it doesn't have to be synchronized if you're doing like a solo or if, you know, there's like, it's not just synchronized swimming. Um, And I think that they wanted it to be a bit more on the like artistic side, like you have with, um, what's that gymnastics with the ribbon and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. Which is actually not as intuitive as it sounds because artistic is the one that is more um what you see with the pommel horse the balance beam oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but rhythmic gymnastics is the one at least that's what i remember i might be wrong i need a fact check check mike you're the olympics expert on the show (laughs) he's even wearing the olympics suit (laughs) he's got his team canada yeah yeah yeah. rhythmic rhythmic gymnastics is the one that has the ribbon the ball all the different other things okay so i think they wanted to just kind of make it a bit more mainstream in that sense um but I think it was I think it was a really bad idea. But that's <laughs> that's my personal opinion. I think so too. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And uh as as I mentioned, it's a TSC team. It's not a yes. varsity team. So can you just quickly explain what the difference between the two is? The main difference is that with Thunderbird Sports Club teams, you're actually as a student athlete in charge of running and supporting the club as well. So varsity teams really have um Uh, everything kind of provided to them. So the coach is paid for, the pool is paid for, their, you know, uniforms, their travel. Whereas with TSC, we're in charge of fundraising to pay for our coaches, to pay for our pool time, to pay for our uh, travel to like nationals, things like that. Um, And so it's it's just really about management, I think, is the main difference. Uh, But they remain just as competitive and commitment-based. Uh, and again, depending on the sport, but um, most of the time, I would say that they're quite equal. It's just how they're managed. Yeah. TSC represent. TSC represent. Oh, I played for uh, TSC Quidditch. Oh, really? Yes, oh, there you go. Yeah, TSC, TSC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have that that for that fraternal bond with the other oh, TSCs, yeah. it's, given that oh, yeah. given that. You're 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 a bit above the AMS clubs. You're below the varsity. You're sort of in the, the, the middle zone. The injustice <laughs> of the TSC teams. We have a we have a very nice little TSC gala though every year, which is is lovely. So that brings us all together. It's very wholesome. The mics on me. I was going to ask about <laughs> that. Um, you have your end of year water show. You had it this past yes, week. Saturday. How did that go? 
Um, very well. It was so nice being able to have people come and watch. I feel like that's a huge thing about synchronized swimming is that it it really is fueled by the audience. Um, I, I used to do competitive swimming and that was something that I used to very much want to be on my own kind of doing and it's very much like I'm in the zone and I'm gonna swim and then I'm done you know whereas I feel like with synchronized swimming it's such like a team effort it's such a team sport and having that audience really just makes it so much better I mean, it's a it's a performance ultimately exactly as well. and maybe that's where the, the artistic arts. swimming yeah, yeah I, comes I in I was just <laughs> thinking about it there I was like maybe they are right maybe <laughs> I, well, I, I controversial don't want to get involved yeah. in the debate I don't know enough <laughs> No, but I I think that definitely does play a huge role. And so we had quite a lot of people come out, lots of like friends, family members, um, old people who used to be on the team. So like, I guess, ex-swimmers or like old swimmers uh, come out and support. We have quite a few different routines this year. We have a novice solo and then three advanced solos. And then one novice team and two advanced solos. So quite, uh, actually it's quite a mix. So in third year, we had a lot more novice swimmers than we do this year, but a lot less advanced swimmers. It's actually really interesting to see how the team uh, evolves and changes every single year. Well, but, t- yeah. talk to us about maybe your transition then. You said you did more competitive yeah. swimming solo. Mm-hmm. What was the thought process and is your story <laughs> representative of a, a movement of a lot of people into synchronized swimming? Or? I, th- I think definitely in the novice team. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the advanced girls come in and they've been doing synchronized swimming since like middle school or since, you know, they were kids. And that's kind of what they do. That's their sport. A lot of the novice team are ex-lane swimmers or competitive swimmers who at least my experience was it was imagine day of 2017 and I was walking up and down main mall looking for competitive swimming and I saw the synchronized swimming people holding up the signs and I was like hi like do you guys know where you know the the normal swimming is like (laughs) why would you want to do normal swimming if you can join synchronized swimming and I was like Ah, that's actually a cool question. So I signed up and then went to a couple of their trial practices. And I was like, actually, this is really fun. Um, And I think a lot of the novice team have had similar experiences where they've just picked this sport just for fun or just as a new experience and then ended up really enjoying it and sticking around for a couple of years. That's the beauty of, I think, university in general, like because you're often moving here and you're doing something completely different anyway. Yeah it's easier to pick, pick up, up some new things. new things. Exactly. So I'm very happy that you did it. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> what is the the workload like for being on the team? You, you're like, you are on the novice team. You are yeah. one of the advanced swimmers who's been doing this for a yeah. decade or something like that. So what is the practice schedule like? And what kind? What? how, how much intensity is there in the sport itself? Uh a very annoying answer it really depends um we usually have three practices a week we have monday evening thursday evening and then sunday mornings but this year for example the sunday morning practices weren't as frequent so we were just doing like the monday and thursday evenings uh in terms of intensity i would say it gets more and more intense the closer we get to competition So usually September, October is for returning swimmers, kind of that refreshing period of relearning some of the uh, elements, relearning some of the techniques, but it's also us helping some of the new swimmers learn those for the first time as well. And then end of October, second half of October, November and December is just choreography. It's just, you know, trying to... Uh, fill as many of the minutes in these songs as we can and then January and February is like it's pretty intense it's very much we're going to competition you have to be at every practice um, or at least like we really hope that you will be and uh, we also so synchronized swimming as much as it's in the water there's also this thing called land drill which is when 
you'll see sometimes swimmers will be on the pool deck and they'll kind of be like clapping around with their hands and just doing like silly arm movements and that's basically going over the counts and going over the movements without necessarily tiring yourself out by swimming the full run through and so that's something that we do a lot either before practice or in your own time I personally like walking around campus sometimes and just like doing a land drill (laughs) as I like walk home um, after work or after class which looks very very silly but if the music's really loud in my ears, it's I, I don't I don't really mind. I saw someone just now in the library. I was working away. I looked up and someone was just practicing their jump shot. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and, then, and then we caught eyes, and he looked very embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked away. Yeah. It was it was uncomfortable for everyone. That's it. It's it's all right until you realize that someone's watching you and then you're just like, oh no. And then you walk a bit faster to get home quicker. But yeah. <laughs> Speaking of competition, though, yeah. um, when we, we took a look and it said that the T-Birds, they compete in the Canadian University Artistic Swimming League. Yes. Um, do you happen to know, could you explain to us a bit about what the structure sort of looks like, what my competition looks like? Yeah. And, uh, have you taken part in one of these? I, I don't want to, like, brag, <laughs> but I actually went to three nationals and won third place at each and every one. Oh, my God. So oh, I'm, a, I'm a bronze medalist. <laughs> in, you know. in a solo performance? Uh, in team. And then my duet performance actually won second place. So, um, so it really uh, there's there's a basic structure every year where Canada's kind of divided into the Easterns and the Westerns, and so. As UBC athletes, we go to Westerns in the end of January, which happens either in uh like uh alberta the one next to alberta saskatchewan Saskatchewan. (laughs) yeah i was like oh my goodness what's it called it's either saskatchewan um alberta or bc and so for example we've been to winnipeg we've been to calgary we went to edmonton one year and then uh, I think Victoria was supposed to host it last year, for example. But of course, you know, COVID. And then so you go to Westerns and it doesn't like it's kind of weird because those scores don't really matter. But it's basically I, do, I think it's because there aren't enough athletes. I think that if it was more, it would kind of be like a um, like a shortlist program where if you go to Westerns, you have to be in the top five teams to then go to nationals but I don't think that there are enough at least novice teams to do that so we go to westerns it's always very fun um and then usually on the same weekend as valentine's day which is always really cute because then my team always ends up getting each other like little gifts or I got everyone like fake roses one year it was very sweet um so we go off to nationals and nationals in first year were held in Niagara Falls, second year was uh, Ottawa, third year was actually at UBC, and then this year was supposed to be Halifax, but again, cancelled. So this year they're virtual. Um, but Nationals is, first of all, it's so much fun because you're it's like a big sleepover with your team. And by the time it's gotten to February, you've all become like very, cl- I mean, synchronized swimming, like, we're holding on to each other in the water. We're lifting each other. We're kicking each other in the face. So you've gotten very, very comfortable with your team by the time nationals rolls around. Um, and there's usually a day for solo and duets or trios, which we call like extra routines. So a year I did a duet with one of my friends. And so we went on the first day and then the second day is teams. So that's both novice and advanced teams. They always put the novice first, though, so that, you know, we're not outshunned <laughs> too much. <laughs> we don't have to embarrass ourselves after the advanced teams. But, yeah, that's kind of the structure of, of those competitions. For sure. And just as an add-on, I mean, yeah. what would you say about, what would you say would be your, let's say, favorite part of the sport or being part of the team? Just from, the, uh, your, your descriptions have painted a really colorful yeah. I think because, as I mentioned, I never had done a team sport before I had always done like a sport where it was just myself and then I liked relays but even in relays you swim by yourself um so for me I think the best part has definitely been the community aspect and the team aspect I think I 
I was a bit worried at first, and every year there all is always, you know, one person who isn't maybe your favorite person on the team. But at the end of the day, you're all working for each other, um, and that's the main thing. Is that you know, even if I decided that like, oh, I hate the team, I don't want to, you know. I would be letting everyone else down. It's not just about myself. So I think definitely that teamwork aspect, um, just working and, and relying on e- on each other and with each other, is is just really fun. And I think nationals are always the best time because you're like helping each other put like really bad smelling like gel in your hair and just trying to you know put your nose clips on and your makeup last minute and you're in matching suits. It's very it's very camaraderie based yeah do you have a favorite style of performance that you like to do whether like the big team ones a Mm -hmm. duet a trio performance i would definitely say um, oh that's tricky actually yeah interesting question i think i think solo and duets are nice just because you have to depend on less people so you're not as scared of oh no, there's one person on the team who's not showing up to any practices. What are we going to do? Because if you're doing a solo or duet, you're like, oh, it's just me and my friend and I'm just going to keep calling her until she shows up to practice (laughs) if that is a problem. Um, But I, I will say I definitely do prefer the team just because you can do more sports wise um some of the creek if i don't know if you guys like watch synchronized swimming but some of the incredible like throws they do or the jumps or you know lifting people and throwing them up into the air it's it's like cheerleading in the water basically um and it's incredible to like be able to to watch the video at the end and be like, oh my goodness, I'm one of the people like throwing that person into the air or I'm being thrown into the air. Um, and then just, again, the the team is just, it makes it really worthwhile, I think. Can I ask a really technical question? Yes. Um, how deep is the water that you perform in? Um, just well, in terms of, I think of like throwing people in the air and stuff, yeah. I'm just like thinking. I don't know if there's a specific depth that it has to be but you're like treading water right we're treading water you're not allowed to touch the bottom if you touch the bottom of the pool you're disqualified um that's that's why especially at the olympics they have those like underwater cameras and sometimes like there have been stories of someone accidentally touching the bottom and then the whole team's just disqualified but um well at our aquatic center here at ubc we have the diving pool, which is where we practice usually, which is very deep. But then when we do like the water show, for example, we go into the 50 meter pool, which is a lot shallower. So sometimes even for us doing that, you'll be like, oh, I'm really close to the bottom mm. of the pool. But yeah, I don't actually know if there's a specific depth. Well, I was just thinking like in terms of I mean, I would drown doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so you get was, kicked in the face and then yeah. just, yeah. you're, you're, you're done. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, like, it must be, I bet it's one of those sports that's, like, more physically demanding than yeah. people give you credit for. Oh, definitely. And I think that's that's also what annoys me about the name change, is that I feel calling it, like, artistic swimming is so, like, oh, you know, haha, we just, like, swimming and like dancing in the water but it's an incredibly demanding sport like the leg muscles and the arm muscles like you're treading water and doing like stuff with your arms and lifting people and it's a long routine you know like it's not like 50 meters and then you're out of the water it's like five to eight minutes that you're swimming to a song um so yeah very very physically very physically demanding and i'm just a novice swimmer so i can I can't even imagine how exhausting it must be for like advanced swimmers um watching their routines is it's it's crazy it's it's incredible yeah yeah like i mean a lot of people don't 
appreciate what goes into some of these sports, especially yeah. on the last day we've tried it out. I mean, like, uh, I'll point out figure skating, for example. Some people might think it's just like about roaming around and you're just looking pretty on the ice. Yeah. Oh, man. Have yeah. you ever tried skating for yeah. uh, four minutes and trying Terrible. to <laughs> jump, spin? <laughs> Diana nodding her head <laughs> over here. I do want to point out, though, like, I've done synchronized yeah. swimming when I was younger yeah. and I did storm the wall yesterday okay. and I had to sign up to do swimming last minute because the person <laughs> yeah dropped out anyways i just did five legs and keep in mind i I would go swimming five minutes swimming max and i would just stay in the hot tub yeah. yesterday the third length i was like i thought i was gonna drown <laughs> so <laughs> synchronized swimming is hard especially yeah. i've been there and i was always the bottom one lifting yeah, it's sure. very tough and i do agree with the name change because yeah. Synchronized swimming makes more sense. Yeah, but, is. yes. What is autistic swimming? What even is that? I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Case in point, people who change the name. Case in point. The artistic part is how you're synchronized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait a <Exactly>. second. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Uh, I suppose, kind of, final thoughts. Uh, do you plan on staying involved with the sport beyond university? Or are you going to bow out with one final performance and swim away into the swim deep? <laughs> Goodbye. Um, I was actually thinking that when COVID hit back in whenever it was, um, <laughs> Eternity 20 ago. years ago, <laughs> um, that the team that I had that year was the best team that I could have ever asked for. It was such an incredible and such like, Everyone worked so well together. We all clicked both on the swimming part and on the community part as well. Um, and I've always said, like, I kind of wish that that had been my last year because it was just perfect. Um, and then when things were opening up again this year, I was like, oh, you know, like, I can go out again and, and try it again. And I think that definitely... Um, part of me wishes that I, I hadn't um, because that was just, you know, when you have like such a great experience doing something and you're like, this is the peak and then everything else is being compared to that. So I think that was the the problem that I faced this year was just having that comparison all the time. Um, and I was talking to my coach, Christina, and she actually coaches masters uh, synchronized swimming off campus and to the general Vancouver community. And so I was thinking that I might check that out next year um, and see see what's happening, see what's up. But I think I definitely would want to keep doing it until I have an experience as good as two years ago, or at least like close enough that I can be like, you know, this is it. like, go out with a bang, like, as you said, or like, swim away into swim the deep into end. The deep, yeah. That's what I said. yeah. <laughs> so definitely probably will continue to pursue it or at least try to do some kind of swimming. Um, I just, I like the water, like, like swimming away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all that we have for you. Thank you, Valley, so much for coming on the show. It's great having someone here in the studio with no, us the first we mentioned no. this off the air but this is the first time we've had someone live for an interview since pre-pandemic and you coincidentally just had your first yeah. <laughs> live interview since pre-pandemic right before our show on your show wonderful it was really nice thank you so it's, much for having it's me it's been a gift because i'm learning a whole lot of sports on this show <laughs> i'm learning about all american sports and yeah. now I feel like I know about synchronized swimming a whole lot more than baseball, which, <laughs> which I've just prepared for the show. Really <laughs> so it shows. Get the people in. Let's talk to them. In, yeah. Explain it to we me. we got to bring in a, a baseball player just for you all. Yeah. You can have like a one-on-one -on -one seminar. I can pretend. And volleyball, softball, hockey. I play baseball. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> you score 25 points every time you oh. hit. The bat. <laughs> I've never maybe, actually maybe, seen a baseball game. Maybe, maybe we don't want Ollie learning from you then. He'll yeah. just go even further down the wrong direction. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Yeah, of course. And you can listen to Valley uh, on CITR every yes. Wednesday beginning at 1 right before our show. Mm. 
we have plenty of Thunderbirds action to recap, which we will do after taking a brief break for ads and PSAs. Now, just thank you one more time, Valley, yeah, for uh, coming on. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll be right back after the break. The AMS Sexual Assault Support Centre, the SASC, is a free and confidential service which provides support to those who experience sexual assault, intimate partner violence and harassment. We provide services to folks of all genders, including students, staff, faculty and those who have a connection to the UBC Vancouver campus. We provide crisis and short-term emotional support, legal, medical and campus-related advocacy and outreach and educational programs. We are located in the Student Nest, room 3130. For more information on our hours of operation and other resources and services, please go to our website, amssasc.ca, or visit our Facebook page, AMS Sexual Assault Support Center. Looking to get a reliable and affordable used bike? Need a repair or service to your current ride? Come to the Bike Kitchen, UBC's full-service community bike shop, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. Our hours are Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you buy a bike from us, bring it back when you're done using it and we'll give you half of your money back as long as you took care of it. If it needs repairs, we'll split the cost with you. Yep, you heard us right. We'll give you crisp dollar bills for half the original price of any used bike that you buy from us, minus the cost of repairs. For more information about our buyback policy and to stay up to date on any COVID-19 inspired changes, find us online at thebikekitchen.com. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye here on CITR 101.9. Now, taking a look back at some of the Thunderbird action from this past week, we're going to start with the Men's Hockey Canada West Championship Series. And again, well, there's no, first things first, it's been a historic season for UBC's men's hockey. One of the best starts in all, all, all of team history, going on an unprecedented run. Some of the best play we've seen from Marlon Toth were great contributions from Jonathan Smart, Tyler Sandu. And they made themselves. They uh, they made themselves. Um, they made they made it all the way to the Canada West Finals. However, they were in tough against number one seed Alberta. You, if there's one thing to know about the University of Alberta, they've got themselves a good men's hockey team. They've won <laughs> 16 of the past 20 uh, conference championships. 80 percent is great on any exam, but for a sporting competition, that is unprecedented historic dominance. Um, again, though the Thunderbirds tried to play giant killer, they fell in a two nil sweep to the Golden Bears. Yep, the first game, it was a battle. UBC twice fought back to tie the game after Alberta scored. In the first period, it was Chris Douglas who tied the game six minutes after Alberta opened the scoring. In the second, Tian Rask scored just 30 seconds after the Bears made it 2-1. UBC really taking it to them as best they could. Shots at the end of the second period were actually in UBC's favor as they held a 15-11 advantage in that category. Unfortunately, the Bears came out of the gates firing in the third, outshooting the Thunderbirds 12-1 to in the final 20 minutes and dominating the play. One oh. shot in 20 minutes. That, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> Alberta then took the lead for the third time with six and a half minutes left in the game, and they held on to this one until the end, adding an empty netter to make it 4-2 in the final. UBC's first loss by multiple goals in over a month and a half. Things went... F- from bad to much, much worse in game two as the Thunderbirds suffered their worst, uh, um, uh, worst defeat in over five years, losing seven to nothing and thus losing the series. I, wa- I was watching halfway through and I was like, I can't. I <laughs> <laughs> just, just gave up on the team. Yeah, and then I saw the final score and I was like, oh, it was so hard watching the highlights. Um. I mean, credit credit where credit's due. Alberta is a team dripping with depth. Four four lines that can score. Three pairings that keep the puck out of the net. 
they got themselves off to a fast start. They scored three times in the first. They added another three in the second period, all scored within four minutes of each other. And then from that point onwards, what they... They just had to preserve a six-goal lead, which is pretty easy to do. <laughs> um, they managed... All they had to do was not give up six goals in one period. I mean, it's a pretty it's pretty straightforward for them from that point on. UBC was only outshot 32 to 29. Um, they managed 18 shots in the third period. So a late push, unfortunately, Alberta goalie Taz Berman won half of the Berman-Schneider pairing that has been lights out all season. Berman just rocked it. Shut up. Yeah, this means Canada West Silver for a second straight season for UBC. They will head into Nationals as one of the lower seeds. We don't know what exactly uh, the seed will be or who they will play as other conferences' playoffs are ongoing this week. So we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, on the women's side, the Nationals start this week. In fact, they're playing in their quarterfinal tomorrow. The third-place seed will take on the sixth-place seed, Napissing, who are making their first-ever appearance at Nationals. That game is at 3 p.m. Pacific, and you can watch on the CBC Sports website. If UBC wins, they'll face either second-seed UNB or seventh-seed McGill in the semifinals. Yeah, so good luck to our women's hockey team at Nationals, the first of two of our winter sports teams that are going to be at Nationals. Well, plus they, swimming, but they, they've been in they've been in PI since like Monday. I want to say I think they went flew out on Monday, but I mean, hey, so they'll definitely be adjusted to the time zone. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe they'll go sample some of those world world famous potatoes or something like that. <laughs> nice pregame meal. <laughs> uh, now looking at women's volleyball coming into this past weekend, our women's volleyball team, they were on fire. They'd won five playoff matches in a row. Unfortunately, it all came crashing down as they lost twice in the final four, ending the season without a medal or a spot at nationals. And when you're facing up against a giant like Trinity West, um, I mean, it's only it was almost a foregone conclusion that the glass slipper would slip off. Uh, UBC was slept, uh, swept three nothing. First set was close. They fought they fought real tight and it was twenty five twenty three for the Spartans. Um, but after that, it seemed to have demoralized them a little. They dropped the next two sets with score lines of twenty five to seventeen and twenty five to eleven. Uh, Trina Western absolutely buried the Thunderbirds at the net as they hit 405 as a team compared to 105 for UBC and had 42 kills and 8 blocks compared to just 24 kills and 1 block for UBC. It's not uh, pretty at all. (laughs) The Thunderbirds even struggled from the service line too with just one ace from Jade Robertson and 11 service errors as a team. Robertson was only was really the only one that somewhat had a bright spot with five kills while sitting on 400 hitting percentage along with three digs. Claire Cossarini also had five kills. Her and Robertson tied for the team high. When your team high is five kills, that's generally not a great sign. Nope. Uh, Kayla Oxland had just 18 assists, which was a season low for her. Really, the Thunderbirds falling apart badly at the worst possible time. Well, luckily for them, since they made it to the semifinals, they had a chance for um, they had the chance to play for the bronze medal. They had to be face off against the Mount Royal Cougars, who they beat previously uh, the week uh, uh, the week before. Uh, fortunately, this time they couldn't get it done. They also lost in three uh, three nil on sets. UBC did not crack 20 points in any other three sets, and in the third, lost by an incredible score of 25 to 9. Incredible sounds like UBC <laughs> did a great job, but... Um, well, I mean, Mount Royal did a great yeah, job. Yeah, <laughs> Mount Royal did a great job. Uh, they hit um, minus... Uh, Six zero six seven sixty seven as a team for the night with just two aces and eight service errors on top of that. The two most efficient uh, offensive performers were Elise Petit, who had six kills on a four five five hitting percentage, and Oxland, who had three on a four hundred hitting percentage. The rest of the team combined had just eleven kills and twenty four attacking errors for a minus one seven eight hitting percentage. I mean, anytime you're hitting in the negatives as a team, <laughs> that, that's also generally a bad sign. 
Sadly, this means that the Thunderbirds season is now over as they failed to qualify for Nationals for just the third time in Coach Doug Reimer's 24 seasons in charge of the program. Next spring, though, UBC will be hosting Nationals, meaning they will qualify automatically. So no need to worry about that. <laughs> and moving on to golf. Um, first off with golf, just a bit of a... A uh, bit on a bit of a somber note. Um, recently, this past week, we had a, one of the NAIA teams had a, a University of the Southwest. Uh, unfortunately, with the car, they got into a car accident and it was fatal for most of the team. So, just thoughts and prayers for all of those involved. A program that uh, in a very close knit golf community um, in the NAIA, and like just thoughts and prayers and all the best wishes for all those involved. Um, moving on, though, for our Thunderbirds, um, after months and months of punishing their fellow uh, Pacific Northwest uh, programs, the Thunderbirds got a chance to flex their muscles against the cream of the continent's crop. The NAIA's finest converged on the, I, can't, I don't know how to pronounce this, Corey, thanks a lot, uh, Paiute, Paiute Golf Paiute, Club. maybe? Paiute? Yeah, we'll go with Paiute uh, Golf Club in Las Vegas earlier this week. UBC faced what was easily the stif- uh, stiffest test of the season. The women's team, still the defending NAIA champs from three years ago, they earned a slim uh, two-shot victory, while the men had to settle for a sixth-place finish. The Paiute battle was played at one club, but two different courses. The women tackled the Sun Mountain course, which proved a ferocious test. Michaela... Skrilo, the women's individual champion from Otto University, uh, the Arizona institution, finished at pause, pause, 12 over. 12 over with her 3 over 75 on day two, um, the best score of the tournament. Now, perhaps you had to double take there, but no, you heard us right. UBC did not win the women's individual title. The first time one of them hasn't won it or at least shared gold since late September. Yeah, in fact, the best on the Thunderbird side were Una Chow and Elizabeth Labeth, who finished six back of Sagrillo in a tie for sixth. Sonia Tang was tied for 10th at 21 over, while Esther Lee and Emily Lee were tied for 13th and 18th, respectively, at 22 and 23 over. Maybe impressive that no Thunderbirds individually in the top five, and yet they still, as a team, were good enough to win the team title. And again, I, I'm sure if you talk to any of these uh, team members, they would they would say that the team uh, the team title was their priority. Uh, their two-day total was a plus 75. That was just enough to edge out Embry Riddle, the Embry Riddle Eagles. As championship as championship season approaches, the women likely appreciate the chance to finally play some pressure-packed <laughs> golf after blowing out plenty of teams what over was, the last how, while. When, what was the Canada West scoreline again? How many? It, it was something them? like 40 or 50. Strokes ahead or something ridiculous. <laughs> Unfortunately, on the other hand, our men, our men could not keep their season-long first-place streak alive on the Wolf Course. The men's competition was meant to be a three-day affair, but sloshy weather on Sunday meant this too was a two-day contest. The Thunderbirds ended at a, a plus forty-six, uh, humbling thirty-nine shots behind the Seahawks of Kaiser University, which, to be fair, includes an entire golf academy and even offers degrees in golf management. They bleed golf. <laughs> I'm not sure what exactly a golf management degree would include, but it means you're gonna somehow be wealthy. If you, if you go golf. down to Florida and go to Kaiser University, you can find out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for UBC, Aiden Schumer, Mackenzie Bickle, and J.P. Callert finished Brothers in Arms at 10 over, tied for 16th, 13 shots off the pace. Russell Howlett at 16 over was tied for 57th, while Neil Sony rounded out the contingent at 24 over in an 81st place tie. It's a two-week break for the teams before they get another go at their fellow NAIA powerhouses. On April 4th and 5th, the Thunderbirds will be in Forest Grove, Oregon for the Pacific Invitational at Pumpkin Ridge, or as our former colleague Corey would call oh, it. Former colleague. colleague. Former former colleague. colleague. <laughs> Form, formerly in-person present colleague. How about okay, that? there you go. Um, <laughs> call it the Piper. Right. Time it's for Ollie's, Ollie's favorite sport. I want like, the jingle. I want like, the organ every time, <laughs> I, every time I talk about baseball. Um, so it's been a crazy week. Uh, some very tight games. Uh, the Thunderbirds opened up conference play with a four-game series at home against the College of Idaho. There were a lot of ups and downs. 
but they managed to salvage a rough start. But ultimately, it was a split series. So, you know, as he said, there's some good, good and bad. <laughs> but ultimately, we'll take it. <laughs> no, uh, Ollie will take uh, it. Ollie will take it. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll take it too. Um, the Thunderbirds fell in a painfully close 8-7 to series opener Friday night at Tourmaline. Oh, my goodness. West Stadium. They great. They had a great start scoring five times uh, in the first three hits from Ty Penner and Brandon Hoop, followed by a bases loaded walk and then two two runs, excuse me, scored off a wild pitch. Hoop then made it 6-0 in the fifth with a solo home run to left field. And then he blew it. Or, well, the... (laughs) (laughs) Blew it. And then they... they Brandon Hoop catching strays. (laughs) Well, not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Thunderbirds as a whole, they blew it. Uh, the Yotes got it on the board in the sixth to make it 6-1. to one. From that point onwards, it started the comeback as they cut the lead to 6-5 to five in the seventh. That's four runs in one innings, folk. Yeah, folk. and then after UBC scored once more in the eighth to try and get that lead a little bit further in front, the Yotes took off in the ninth with a three-run barrage after they loaded the bases and then hit two RBI doubles to take the win. Yeah, so it was a painful match, but we move on to Saturday. The Thunderbirds, you know what? They started again well in Game 2, with Nathan Shute hitting an RBI single in both the first and third innings to give UBC a 2-0 lead. The two teams then traded runs in the fifth and the sixth to make it tied 3 all heading towards the end of the game. UBC did have an opportunity to extend their lead in the eighth with uh, the bases loaded, but failed to capitalize and were left with another heartbreaking loss as the Yotes scored off a wild pitch in the ninth to give them a 4-3 win. The weather was nice, though. I was there. <laughs> but, yeah, but we lost the first one. But the weather was great. Yeah, the weather <laughs> was great. Fun fact that I didn't even know. I didn't know NAIA played um, nine innings back-to-back. That seems like an excessive use, well, not excessive, an excessive strain on the pitchers. Anyways. But that's why That's why um, they had to forfeit, or yeah. not, not UBC. UBC didn't have to forfeit, but, but the team that was supposed to come to Vancouver Corbin? to play, I think it was Bush. Bush. Bushnell, Bushnell. Yeah, Bushnell, they had to forfeit because they couldn't bring enough players across the border Eight, to play us nine, in a double Back to back nine innings is ridiculous. Even in the majors, they do back to back seven. So, anyways, moving on to game three, uh, also on Saturday. It was the Yotes that opened up the scoring this time. Uh, they had two in the top of the second with a ribby double from Tanner Leaf, followed by a run scored, uh, follow, followed by a run scored from a UBC error. Yeah, they then made it 4 nothing in the third, but this time it was UBC who came back from behind. Taking early leads, apparently, was just a death sentence <laughs> in this weekend series. Began with RBIs from Hoop, Shoot, and Aiden Rose in the sixth, all back-to-back, to cut the deficit to just one. This game went on to the ninth inning, and UBC had the bases loaded. First, Hoop hit a sacrifice fly to tie the game. And then for the second straight game, there was a wild pitch, this time bringing home Noah Orr for a 5-4 UBC win. Nothing nothing like a walk-off wild pitch (laughs) to end things. In the fourth and final game of the weekend... Uh, weekend series on Sunday, the Thunderbirds kept their momentum going and defeated the Yotes one to now two split the series at Tourmaline West Stadium. Uh, the Thunderbirds pulled off a strong defensive display through the game, evidenced by the shutout. They finally took the lead in the seventh through a no or uh, ribby, uh, ribby single that they held out throughout through to the end of the and game. I, I do want to bring up on the UBC box scores listed as N dot Fry scored the winning run as a pinch runner for this team. He is not listed on the UBC roster, baseball <laughs> roster page. There is no hyperlink. I looked him up. He, he's not anywhere listed as a UBC player. He is listed as a UBC commit in an old prep baseball. He's the yeah, secret. He, he, he was on a, he was on a UBC, he's, he's been on the UBC JV team. He hasn't, his, his Instagram bio has UBC 2024. In, in it. I've been doing the sleuthing. Nick Fry, apparently you're on the team, but you're not on the team. <laughs> He's a secret weapon. They need to get they, this sorted. <laughs> they, they needed a win. They said, hey, let's bring out Nick Fry. He's really fast, apparently, <laughs> but also he doesn't exist in the eyes of the Thunderbirds website. 
And uh, UBC's pitching staff, they were on point this game. Very impressive considering that there's not many of them healthy right now. Mike, you pointed out UBC only has... Around like four, maybe, four, maybe five arms. Yeah, four or five healthy pitchers at the moment, uh, which is not ideal, especially when you're playing back-to-back nine-inning games. Uh, but... In this second game of the doubleheader, they gave up just three hits and three walks the entire game. Brett Corbeth was the starter, pitched six scoreless innings, but it was rookie reliever Adam Kahn who was credited with the win, his first career win for UBC. Next up is a trip down to Idaho to play the perennial powerhouse Lewis Clark State in a four-game series. These are the first conference games of the season for Lewis Clark, who are ranked three in the entire NAIA. A with a non-conference record of 29 and 1. Yeah. Um hopefully boy. they're going to win. They're yeah. going to win. <laughs> Nick well, Fry. Nick Fry <laughs> the secret weapon. Yeah, Nick Fry is going to do it. All next 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 week Ollie's going to have to approve. <laughs> they got to work up. <laughs> Moving on to track and field. Uh the UBC track and field team had their first official meet since February 2020 this past weekend as they traveled down to compete in the Willie Williams Classic in Tucson. Arizona. It's Tucson, oh, Arizona. Sorry. Very, Tucson. very counterintuitive with how it's pronounced. You would, you would not guess that's how you would pronounce that uh, name. Go Wildcats! Uh, the Thunder, <laughs> the Thunderbirds did quite well as a team. There weren't any um, team standings for this event, but UBC athletes received automatic qualification in multiple events for the NEIA championships in May, where both our men's and women's teams are defending champions. Yeah, Rowan Hamilton was a star in the hammer throw as he won gold with a toss of sixty-seven point. 97 meters, a full five meters ahead of his closest competitor. The quote-unquote A standard, which is the time set out by NAIA, that that if you if you reach that time or that distance or whatever your event is, you automatically book yourself a place at nationals when they happen. Uh, and the A standard needed to qualify for nationals in the hammer throw was around 56 meters, so he cleared that fairly easily. <laughs> yeah, go on, Rowan. Uh, the other top medal was from uh, Kaylee Kerr, who in the women's javelin, as she won silver with a throw of 45.18 metres. Teammate Giovanna Jones, uh, JV Party Smith finished fourth and sixth in the event, with all three earning a standard. The men's javelin event also saw a Thunderbird do well as rookie Cam Kuziak earned a standard with a fourth place finish from a 58.82 meters throw. In the running, uh, in the track events, UBC women's 4x100 relay of Hassi Fashina Bombada, Kayla Smith, Emma Rostad, and fellow kinesiology student third year Rebecca Dudacek, uh, she <laughs> they finished with a time of 47.94 seconds, earned the A standard as well. Shout out UBC kinesiology. Of course, always. <laughs> Smith then did the same in a different event as she competed in the 400-meter solo race and finished with a time of 56.86, making the A-standard time by .04 seconds, just barely squeaking in there. Our track athletes will be here on campus this weekend as they compete in the UBC Open at the Rochelle uh, Dillon Oval on Saturday and Sunday. And now before we wrap things up, there's a couple other sports to cover. Uh, one of them, men's rugby, faced off against Victoria on Saturday afternoon in the second leg of the Whiteman Boot Series. UBC won the first leg 22-7 to here at home in October, and they dominated the Vikes on the road in the second, winning 54-17. to The T-Birds started out strong. They went up 25-10 at half, and they didn't let up in the second half, outscoring the Vikes 29-7 over the final 40 minutes. A friend of the show, Jacob Bossie, Jared uh, Andrews Almack, and Takoda McMullen, they all had two tries each. Tidy work for the fellas. Uh, This is the ninth straight year that the Thunderbirds have won the Whitman boot, and the third time they've beaten UVic the season after also doing so in the final of the Canadian University Championships back in the fall. Softball, after being rained out last Wednesday, was scheduled to play a home series against Bushnell over the weekend, but due to COVID issues at Bushnell, their team was unable to make it here, and UBC was awarded three 7-0 forfeit wins. We take those. (laughs) We take them after how it's been recently. Uh, That bumps them up to fifth in the conference with a record of 7-5. Poor Bushnell. (laughs) With their baseball team, their softball team, forfeits everywhere. Also, 7-0 for a forfeit seems a bit excessive. (laughs) 
But now, before we before we go and uh, wrap things up, Diana, you mentioned earlier you took part in Storm of the Wall yesterday. Mike, you also took part in Storm of the oh Wall earlier today, right before you came <laughs> to the studio. Uh, you got your Team Canada jacket on, Olympic athlete. <laughs> the people need oh to know, God. you Wait. versus Diana. Who who did better at Storm the Wall? I couldn't tell you. I, all I can tell you is that I struggled to get over that wall. <laughs> I am not fit anymore. This was this was a mistake, and I have did not prepare well enough. And uh, gonna need gonna need some uh, gonna need a ice cold shower and then a pop in the hot tub afterwards. Um, to be honest, if I did it by myself, I think um, I did it with a Ubisoft editorial and. Oh my um, God. <laughs> oh my god and you know what we actually climbed really fast for the storm though we just had technical difficulties because well not technical it's kind of sad because one of our editor had to like er oh. so um we played as four people because they didn't let um roster and stuff but other than that the wall is really fun like Did i said it? earlier in the show i almost I don't know. Like, I thought I was fit for this event, but... Uh, <laughs> then you got in the pool. Yeah, <laughs> no. I have to swim how far? <laughs> no. It's, it, definitely give it a try. It's uh, one of those traditions that you just got to do at UBC. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... I know, like, I, well, I think I just had more fun because I just, like, didn't know what to expect. And obviously, don't... It, there it comes there's a risk with it oh like, yeah <laughs> if you think you're gonna die tell a staff and stop <laughs> help <laughs> because if you because i did sports and i think that's why like but one of my friend who was also competing with me at the same time for fun obviously but he was not doing well but it was a lot of fun um but yeah i don't know it, I, I think I would have won. <laughs> but our team it took a really long time for us because we were missing one person so yeah, probably Mike's team, maybe. And also, he's wearing a Team Canada, like, merch. Like, obviously. The Olympian. Oh, my the God. Olympian. Can't compare. Free speech. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To this week, uh, I'm doing the outro, baby. Okay. So, as we mentioned earlier, women's hockey will be um, playing in the quarterfinals tomorrow um, at 3 p.m. Uh, it's the U Sports Women's Hockey National Championships in Charlottetown, PI. Um, U Sports uh, Swimming Championships are happening tomorrow as well through Saturday. Um, both the women's and the men's team have won four consecutive U Sports banners, so, and are ranked number one heading to nationals. Um, there is baseball happening, which I hope. They do well for game series, weekend series. Um, they they need to do well if they want to get approved by Ollie. <laughs> um, and <laughs> men's rugby is happening this Saturday at 2.30 p.m. And track. We can't forget about track that's happening on campus. UBC Open on Sunday. And hopefully softball will return from their hiatus as well. And they'll be playing as the show is happening <laughs> next week on Wednesday. So we won't be recapping those games. Live score updates. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can, we can do that now. We can provide live score updates uh, ho- as long as the live stats page is working. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll do- that's, a, that's a hard ask. We'll, we'll, do- we'll, we'll see. And uh, also, speaking of softball, on next week's show, we will have a pre-recorded interview uh, for you. As a couple days ago, I sat down with Nicole Salas of the UBC softball team over Zoom to discuss how the season has gone so far uh, and her own time here at UBC. So have that to look forward to. But for now, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news and stories is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. Next up on CITR is the All Access Pass. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail, Diana Hong, Mike Liu, and Ollie Nicholas with contributions from Corey Branson. Thank you for tuning in and have a great rest of your day.